broadcasting worldwide on internet radio. Refreshing takes on legal strategies. Straightforward answers to difficult tax questions. Independent ideas on building wealth. The Refresher Wealth Show with Mark Kohler and Matt Sorensen. Previously recorded with Mark as the host of the Mark Kohler Show. Enjoy this fresh take on strategies to better live the American dream. Mark Kohler Show. Uh, thanks for being with us today. Mark Kohler is away. He is uh, speaking in New York City. And uh, I get the pleasure of being the substitute teacher slash um, guest host for today. So um, I'm excited for the topic today, something I'm very interested in. I know a lot of my clients are interested in. Um, towards the uh, bottom half of the hour here, uh, maybe a little bit before that, we'll be talking about how to borrow money inside your IRA with non-recourse loans. And this is essentially talking about how you can leverage your retirement plan uh, with debt. Uh, an important topic, good strategy to know, important to understand some of the ramifications and how things work. Um, just a few announcements before we get into the show, though. I just wanted to point out a few things to keep in mind. And um, we'll also have our regular tax tips as we do as part of the show. Uh, as we're going through today's show, if you do want to call in, you can call 646-200-4285, 646-200-4285, and we will take live callers during the show if you do have questions. Um, Lisa will uh, take your call and then let me know you're on the line, and I will try and bring those in as uh, we go through the content today. If you'd like to email a question during today's show, you can email me at matt, M-A-T, at kkoslawyers.com, M-A-T at kkoslawyers.com. All right. Well, let me go ahead and just give a couple of announcements today for what we have. Um, I want to just remind people, October 15th is the deadline if you have extended your tax returns. September 15th was the corporation or uh, partnership deadline if you had an S-Corp or maybe a LLC partnership type tax return. The deadline for that was September 15th. Um, if you are one of these people that uh, hasn't filed the return or isn't able to pay tax when you do file your return, um, check out Mark's video in the newsletter where he has some tips on how to deal with that and some helpful information. Um, and if you're not receiving our newsletter, you can always sign up for that at the law firm's website at kkoslawyers.com. You can also sign up for it on my website or Mark's website as well. And um, that way you'll be getting some of this info automatically. Um, I do have two tipsters that we will bring on for today's show. Um, we'll do a tax tip and a legal tip. Um, I will go ahead and bring on Chet here, though, and we'll just go ahead and get started with today's legal tip. Chet, are you there? Yeah, I am, Matt. Can you hear me? I can hear you just fine. Thanks for coming on today. You got our tax tip for the day? Yeah, absolutely. I uh, 
because we're coming around fourth quarter payroll, well, ending third quarter payroll and coming up on the fourth quarter, um, mm -hmm. I more or less kind of wanted to touch on the importance and uh, of whether or not a 401k could be a benefit um, to a company and uh, the benefits that it may uh, have over your traditional type of uh, type of deferment uh, such as a traditional IRA or SEP. Okay, great. So what is uh yeah, that's an important topic, something I certainly love to talk about. What's the yeah. um for someone from a tax perspective, um is your and you're talking about payroll too, bringing those together, um when should someone be looking to establish a 401k I and mean, what what should they when when do you think is a good opportunity to look at that and what factors should they be considering? Sure, certainly. Well, for, for one, you've got to be profitable. I would think that we need to, to be in the profitable realm before we get to to doing a 401k and uh, all of your expense uh, liabilities are met. Um, certainly, if uh, you need to look at your budget to see as to what levels you can fund um, and, and whether or not uh, you could actually uh, contribute to a 401k and max it out. Um, also, you know, if you have uh, a business in which you have regular payroll employees, you may want to take that into account because a 401k needs to be applied across the board. Um, if you are contributing uh, to a member of the company, you also need to make that contribution to your employees as well. Um, okay. Uh, from a, a payroll standpoint, it's important that... Uh, your employee deferrals come out of your payroll. And if we don't have your payroll done by year-end um, with your employee deferrals, we it's pretty tough to to bring those out. So if you haven't made any 401k employee deferrals as of yet, um, it's very important to, to make sure that let's get those done in, two, in fourth quarter. Um, another important fact of... Uh, payroll has to do with the 401k is that the employer match is dependent on the wage in which you take. Um, and 2014 figures uh, allow you to defer up to 34500 of employer match, but you have to have a wage of about $138,000 to get there. So, um, if you have, if you've been struggling on your payroll thus far, or haven't claimed anything, you know, and you're really looking to to max out the benefit of the 401k, um, it's important that you evaluate where you need to get there to essentially get to the deferment that you're looking for. Um, you know, overall, in whole, um, as a S corp owner and a single uh, employee, essentially, you can defer up to $52,000 of total compensation, which, you know, really can uh, equal some big tax savings down the road, especially for money that you're essentially uh, keeping track of. Yeah, and for someone, you know, let's say, I mean, $52,000 deferred, let's say you're in a, you know, a 35% tax bracket, federal, and maybe a 10% tax bracket in your state that you live in. I mean, that's that you can be saving $20,000 or more in taxes. Yes, absolutely. Um, by yeah, making 20 that to deferral. Yep, so, absolutely. Yeah, and if you're 50 saving. over, um, sorry to cut you off there, if you're actually over uh, 50, 
um, you can actually have a catch-up contribution through your employee deferral of an additional 5500 So that jumps up to almost 58000 Yeah. Now, this is a big topic as we're coming into fourth quarter, and it does really tie into payroll, as you mentioned. Um, you know, fourth quarter is when we get a lot of calls. I know in the law firm, I know Chet, um, and the accounting firm, you guys are getting them as well. Of, All right, I've made a lot of money this year. What are some of the things I can do to start saving on taxes? And that is really, um, you know, I think some people think, well, if you just do this one thing, you know, you're going to save taxes. But it's a lot of little things you got to do to save on taxes. And one of the first ones, though, is are you making retirement plan contributions? Um, And this is a really important one. I'm glad you're bringing up. Um, I wanted to come back to the payroll part because I think this is something a lot of people misunderstand, um, particularly clients doing a S corporation where they may do a salary dividend type split. Um, I know Mark teaches that strategy a lot. A lot of our clients in the law firm use it, um, a good mm-hmm. tax strategy. But um, now the 401k contributions are based on your salary. What you're taking, which is going to be on your, as you referred to as payroll, correct? Yes, that's absolutely correct. Any draw that you take out as a distribution of your equity isn't going to uh, be able to be uh, implemented into the 401k. The the payroll uh, threshold needs to be met um, to, in order to contribute to a 401k. That you know, and, and you know, like I said, you could give our office a call and we can look at your your earnings uh, throughout the year and determine mm-hmm. whether or not you're a good candidate for a 401k. You know, certainly if you don't have the budget for it, um, or if you're looking to expand um, elsewhere, you know, we may want to go traditional um, for the first year or a SEP. We can always look at, um, but. You know, certainly, if you're really looking to make some serious deferrals and you've got a little extra cash on hand, and um, it's, and you already have a pretty good payroll coming out, um, mm-hmm. a 401k could very well be your best bet. Okay, and the um, now on fourth quarter, I think that's a lot of things people will do is they'll say, all right, here's how much I want to contribute to my 401k, um, and then in the fourth quarter, in your payroll is the time to really set the amount of your final salary for the year. And um, really, if you're doing 401k contributions, you've got to really be paying attention to that last fourth quarter because that's really your last chance to figure out how much salary you're going to have for the year, which is, yep. again, as Chet mentioned, what goes into how much you're going to be able to put in. Because if you're pushing the rest through as equity or profit or dividend or whatever you're calling it, it's not salary, then you're not going to be able to make retirement plan contributions on that. Um, yep. And I know a lot of clients are trying to minimize how much salary they take because you got to pay self-employment tax on it. But um, for retirement plan contributions, you're going to want to uh, make sure you're paying enough salary to maximize your retirement plan contributions. So um, thanks, Chet. Any other final words you want to make on this uh, tip? Great tip. Yeah, just one last item. Um, keep in mind on the employee deferral has to be done through payroll. So you need to have that done by the time quarter four payroll taxes are due the following year in January. The cool part about the employer contribution is the fact is we can fund that employer contribution all the way up until filing uh, deadline of the S-Corp, including extensions. So we can actually fund your 2014 401k 
employer match all the way until September 15, 2015. So uh, that, that can certainly be of benefit, too. All right. Well, cool. Well, thanks so much, Chet. Chet, any contact info you want to give out? People want to get in touch with you about consulting on this or other items? Yeah, absolutely. You can get in touch with me. Uh, just probably call the front office on the phone and, and schedule an appointment. Our phone number is 435-865-5866. And uh, get on the calendar, and I'd be happy to talk to you. All right, Kay. Well, thanks for coming on and for the great tip. Absolutely, Matt. Have a good day. All right. Thanks, Chet. All right, one other thing I was just going to know on that topic that Chet was mentioning is I do have a blog article on my blog on that that breaks down the employee contribution, how the max works, what's the maximum total salary to take to fully take the maximum contribution that kind of break down the numbers. So um, you can find that on my blog, which is sdirahandbook.com. Um, I broke that down. Also just wanted to note um, – if you want to um, talk about a 401k, we're helping lots of clients establish 401ks in the law firm now, so you can contact us at the law firm here um, for more help about establishing a 401k. Um, Kevin Kennedy, one of the attorneys in our firm, is helping clients um, consult on those and establish those, um, as well as myself and some of their attorneys. But uh, contact the law firm if you're interested in a 401k. It's a big strategy. We'll be talking more about uh through this uh, last quarter here as we finish out the year as a lot of clients are starting to adopt them and start implementing them for um, for saving for retirement plan, but also self-directing, um, a little bit of what we'll be talking about later today because you can self-direct 401ks as well um, as self-directed IRAs. All right, let me bring on Jerem. He is our legal tipster. This is Jerem Burgesson from the law firm. Um, Jerem, are you there? I'm here, Matt. How are you? Good. Well, um, thanks so much for being on. Uh, what do you got for a legal tip for us? Well, real quick, um, since you were doing announcements uh, before I get into the tip, um, I do want to yeah. uh, throw out on on the radio show for our, our listeners um, that may be in Utah kind of the dates of when I'm going to be speaking uh, here in the state of Utah about uh, the interplay of, of estate planning mm-hmm. and real estate and how it all goes together. We've been approved for uh, a couple continuing education credits for for real estate uh, professionals in the state of Utah. Um, just real quick, um, the 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 first uh, dates are in um, Cedar City, right here in Cedar, uh, on uh, Wednesday, November twelfth. Uh, I believe that's going to be at seven p.m. Um, St. George also the next day, uh, November thirteenth, down in St. George at seven o'clock. Um, planning on being in Richfield, Utah, on Wednesday, November 19th. That one should also be at 7. Um, in Kanab, Utah, on uh, Thursday, November 20th. Uh, that one would also be at – they're all going to be at 7 o'clock except for the last one in Logan. Uh, anyway, uh, November 20th in Kanab, uh, December 3rd in Vernal, Utah, and then uh, the last one will be Thursday, December 4th in Logan, Utah. That one's actually going to be at 3 p.m. Um, during the day, but the rest should be at 7 o'clock. So I just wanted to throw those dates out. All right. We'll be getting these out in the, in the newsletter as well, I believe. So Yeah. Um, yep. You can contact Jerem with any details on that. So um, now back from our commercial interruption. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
So what do you got in terms of a, of a legal tip, though? But thanks for sharing those. those yeah, dates, yeah. I just wanted to get those out there. Always got to get the plug out there. But uh, anyway, right. um, I, uh, I, well done. Uh, I had an in, I had an interesting situation uh, about a week ago. I had a client call. Um, he owned a rental, owns a rental, um, and, and I know a lot of the folks listening to the show own rental real estate. Um, he uh, owns a rental in another state, a state that, that he's not located in. Um, his tenants were uh, on vacation. They were gone out of the property for a couple weeks. Uh, he did have a property manager um, uh, that, that would go by periodically and, and check out the house, uh he happened to the the property manager happened to go out um to the property while the tenants were gone and noticed that there was a, a leak or a pipe that had ruptured behind a wall uh, and was causing uh some some pretty su- substantial damage was able to get the water turned off and and minimize that damage but the client was calling me cuz he was having some trouble um with the insurer um not mm-hmm. wanting to to cover um that that kind of claim um I, I i gave him some advice about about what he should do and should say and shouldn't say to the insurer but uh, more than anything kind of the 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 takeaway i took from that situation is that it it really pays to be even if you're a quote unquote absentee landlord and that you don't live in the same area where your your rental is located it really pays to have a property manager or somebody uh on top of those properties and and looking out for for your properties cuz if not um something like this can happen where uh and 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 it could it could have been worse in this situation if if i think that the tenants had only been gone a couple of days and they were going to be gone a couple of weeks um if that leak had continued it would have caused much more substantial damage so uh, I guess my tip would be if you are a quote unquote absentee landlord to you know have a property manager in place or have someone in that town who will go by and and do that sort of inspection on properties. And the other thing is you know it, it doesn't hurt to ask your tenants to to notify you if they're going to be gone for a long period of time so that you can have someone go out and check on the property while they're gone um the 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 more eyes you have on that property the more you're going to be able to avoid uh you know some sort of disaster happening that that can really put your uh your investment in jeopardy all right well thanks so much for that tip um jerem um, yeah, I think it's important, obviously, to have eyes on the property. And uh, good tip, I, you know, having rentals myself, I mean, I'm thinking about that and thinking, oh, crap, what's going on with my rentals? And maybe I need to drive by them more often. <laughs> right, right, right. All right. Okay, well, thanks so much, Jerem. What's your uh, contact info? He wants to get in touch with you. Yeah, the phone number here at our office is 435-586-9366. Uh, or if you want to email me directly, it's my first name, Jerem, J-A-R-O-M, as in Mary, at kkoslawyers.com. Okay. All right. Well, thanks, Jerem. Appreciate it. Thanks, Matt. Have a good one. All right. Okay. Well, um, looks like we have uh, Matt Allen's joined us. I'm going to uh, kind of give an overview of what we're going to talk about. Then I will bring on Matt, who will be our guest today, into the call. 
and we'll start uh, getting into non-recourse lending and um, how to leverage your IRA and maybe talk a little bit about his book as well. So um, let me kind of tee up the topic, though, before I bring Matt on. And I want to talk about, obviously, um, how we can leverage your IRA. But before we talk about that, I want to obviously discuss what is a self-directed retirement plan. So um, a lot of people who are leveraging their IRA with non-recourse loans that we're talking about are buying real estate. And um, real estate typically cannot be bought in your you know, standard broker-dealer IRA. You'll need to have a self-directed IRA where your IRA is with a custodian that lets you invest to any investment allowed by law. I think a lot of those on the call today and you know who follow us are familiar with self-directed IRAs, but I just wanted to preface that so everybody knows what a self-directed IRA is and you'll be utilizing a self-directed IRA or a self-directed 401k um, as the uh, purchaser of the property, and there'll be a non-recourse loan used to buy it. We're going to get into those details. want to just explain self-directed IRA. You're going to hear that term um, probably a lot as we're talking about the topic today. But let me go ahead and bring Matt Allen on, um, and let me first uh, give a little background about Matt. You on, are you there, Matt? I am. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. I'm excited you're here. Um, I'm going to give a little bit of your bio so everybody knows, you know, how special you are before <laughs> before you start talking. So, um, Matt is vice president of portfolio lending at North American Savings Bank, which is a publicly traded company. Um, they are really the leader in the self-directed IRA market in terms of non-recourse loans. Um, I've seen Matt speak at a number of places where I routinely speak. Um, everybody knows him. He's kind of a big deal. And um, he's also got a book um, called Leverage Your IRA, Maximize Your Profits with Real Estate. Um, Matt, anything else you want to say about yourself that I, that I get no, anything I, important? No, I think you covered that, and you definitely uh, exaggerated a little bit. I'm usually just a, a small speaker where you're the keynote speaker at all these events. So I'm just, I'm just tagging right, along right. with you, Matt. <laughs> all right, yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, well, let's just dive into the topic here, and um, maybe you can kind of explain, you know, your book, the title, Leverage Your IRA, uh, Maximize Your Profits with Real Estate. Uh, Maybe talk about how you can leverage your IRA just in general terms, and we can get into specifics and process, things people should know maybe. Sure, absolutely, and thanks for having me on um, today. And I, I typically will discuss the three options for purchasing real estate within a retirement plan. You know, the first option is you can pay cash um, 100% from your, let's say, your self-directed IRA account. So if you have a $100,000 investment property, you have $120,000 in your IRA, you're going to pay cash for that. You own it outright free and clear. Second option would be to partner with another retirement plan or another individual, another entity. So let's assume that same $100,000 home, you put 50000 down with your self-directed IRA, you have another investor that puts in $50,000 with their own funds, then that own that home is owned free and clear also. There's no leverage involved. And then the third option, which we'll talk about in more detail, is, is non-recourse financing. Let's say you have that $100,000 home you want to purchase, but you only have $80,000 in your IRA. What options do you have? Well, you can get a loan. So we actually lend to self-directed accounts to purchase investment real estate. 
So let's say for this scenario, you put $40,000 down, we lend you $60,000 to your IRA. So then you still own that home, and then your IRA is going to make the monthly mortgage payment to North American Savings Bank. All right. Now, um, great um, summary there. Um, I think a lot of clients who will talk to me will say, well, I've got this pocket of money and I could buy one property or they look at mm-hmm. it and say, or I could buy maybe two or even possibly three, depending on what, what cash they have to work with in the retirement account and thereby um, increasing really their purchasing power um, into buying more properties or I guess buying a, a larger property. So, um, I mean, what is the, you know, in terms of someone looking at that question of, you know, maybe I buy more properties or I buy a bigger property um, rather than just buying one with the cash I have available. Um, what, what are your thoughts about that? What, you mean, I'm sure you get into that conversation often. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we have investors call us all the time, and, and that's their exact thought is, well, why should I limit myself to only one investment property when if I use leverage, I could purchase two, possibly three with the same amount of retirement funds, increasing my purchase power, then also um, my net gain whenever I sell those properties five, seven years down the road. Um, there's a, that opportunity for that much more <clears throat> profit involved. And also, you, know, you have to consider the monthly cash flow you receive from those properties too. So you're also growing that tax-free or tax-deferred depending on the, the type of product that you establish. Um, so there, there's the advantage on a monthly basis along with the end result when you um, finalize that, uh, sell that home to another investor. So we definitely see that strategy used a lot where they understand the power of leverage. A lot of investors we see, they already own two, three properties, maybe even more. Um, and that's yeah. always been their standard um, case where they're, they're going to use leverage. If, if they can get the money, then they prefer to um, to use other people's money just to uh, increase their, their buying power, like you mentioned. Yeah. Now, you use the term non-recourse. We've talked about that a little bit. Tell me mm-hmm. what a non-recourse loan is, maybe why you got to use it, how it's different than the typical loan that most people may be familiar with. Well, a non-recourse loan is one in which the lender has no recourse against the individual or the retirement account itself. So if, if you buy a property within your um, self-directed IRA, you get a non-recourse loan. Um, it goes into foreclosure, unfortunate situation, but the lender um, can't go after your other assets, your checking account, savings account, your automobile. They can only take back that piece of real estate, the only collateral for the for the loan. And then when they sell it, you know, if if they're able to if you default, recover their... Oh, excuse me? If you default. If yeah, you if, default, you default. if you default, of course. If you default, yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Then, then we, um, you know, we're out of luck if we don't get enough. If we sell for sixty thousand, but the loans, the outstanding loan balance is seventy thousand, we can't go after the, like I mentioned, the account holder, um, or the IRA to recover that uh, difference of ten thousand dollars. So, it mm-hmm. it is to the benefit of of the borrower, the entity, um, in this case. But a lot of states are non-recourse. You know, California is a non-recourse state. Um, difference being, you're not going to find um, very many lenders that will lend to self-directed accounts. They're lending to individuals on a non-recourse basis where we actually specialize in that type of transaction. 
Um, but <clears throat> most states are are recourse. Um, so uh, the banks, lenders can go after those individuals um, in, in the case of a foreclosure. All right. And the reason of the non-recourse term, of course, um, is because of the prohibited transaction rules for retirement accounts and the rules governing mm-hmm. retirement accounts that basically say you can't extend credit to your own IRA. So if the lender and the loan or the way the loan documents are structured could go after the retirement owner in particular, that would cause a prohibited transaction issue. So um, the this non-recourse product, as uh, Matt's described, is um, something you need to seek out for your retirement plan. And the typical loans out there are not going to work. Um, now, even in states, and I'll say this, you mentioned this briefly, um, even if you're in a state like California, or Arizona that has these anti-deficiency statutes, is what they're called, that that essentially make a lot of loans Mm -hmm. non-recourse. Many of those statutes, and I've read them and I I read the loan documents with them, they definitely would not work. Do not use those for an IRA. I get that question a lot. Um, You know, what if I'm in California and I just get a regular type of loan? It's not recourse to my IRA. As Matt said, the lender's probably not going to loan to an IRA anyways, but even assuming they could... Um, it's going to be a prohibited transaction because those statutes allow the lender in the event of default to either foreclose and take the property or to immediately sue the borrower. And because of that, they get an either or. Um, that allows, that causes the prohibited transaction issue and those those type of loans aren't going to qualify. The only time that anti-deficiency non-recourse structure works in California and Arizona in your typical loan is if the lender decides to foreclose and take the property, then they can't go after the borrower. But if the lender decides not to foreclose, then the lender can go directly after the borrower and and could collect on them, or in this case, the IRA owner, if they signed on the loan. So um, stay away from those loans. I, I review a lot of loan documents sent to me and most of the time, they're not compliant with the non-recourse loan rules. So you want to seek out lenders, and I always tell people this in my classes, seek out lenders who specialize in non-recourse products and have thought about this for self-directed IRAs before. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's one reason we wanted to have Matt on, because um, they really are one of those um, resources to go to for the type of loans that a retirement plan can properly obtain. Yeah, it's definitely a good point. We occasionally will see customers, you know, the borrowers they'll call us the eleventh hour where they've they've gone to a lender and it's a non recourse state, so the, the loan officer assumes yeah. it'll be okay. They get um, you know, to closing and realize that it can't be done, um, you know, then the the deal kinda of blows up and you know, depending on how quickly the seller or how quickly we can close on that transaction, they might end up losing the deal. So it's definitely best to um Look for that information up front and find the right resources and check out a couple lenders that can that can help with this type of transaction. Um, now, maybe you can go over a little bit uh, some of the qualification rules with respect to these loan products. Um, they're going to be a little bit different. You can probably be putting more money down because there's no mm-hmm. recourse of the lender against the borrower. Maybe walk us through the typical qualification rules someone should know if they're looking to get a non-recourse loan. And now these your loan packages in particular are for real estate, right? I mean that's the it's a mortgage type product against real estate. So maybe get into the details on that. Sure. Um, 
and because it's a non-recourse loan, there are some advantages to the the borrower for this type of product. Um, one being, we're not looking at the individual. So a, a typical loan, the, the lender is going to pull credit. They're going to look at your income. Are you employed? Um, your your pay history. Where again, because it's on recourse, all of that is irrelevant for this transaction. We don't ask if you're employed. We don't ask what your take-home pay is. Um, yeah. You know, it's not a credit-driven decision. So if you have more than ten properties in your personal name, that doesn't affect our decision. So there there are some advantages. Um, another one being this loan will not show up on your credit report under your social security number because it goes under the tax ID number of the entity on title. So it would go under the, the tax ID number of your IRA custodian or the tax ID number of an LLC. Um, so again, advantages for the borrower. Now the, <clears throat> to offset that, because it's non-recourse, the lender does take on more risk they're going to require more money down. Um, at North American Savings Bank, we have a minimum down payment requirement of 30% on single-family homes. And then on condos or multifamily, we require 40% down. Um, you know, that, that might be more than you're accustomed to, but we also want to make sure that there's uh, positive cash flow. A lot of times, it's only 10 20% down. That's not the case. So there's really three things that we look for. Uh, one is the property itself. We want to make sure the property is in satisfactory condition. We want to make sure it's in basically rentable, livable condition when we close on it. We don't want to have to take back a property two months later because it's been trashed by the tenant or um, it was in livable condition up front. There was, you know, the the roof was in poor condition or there was structural damage. Uh, And then the second thing, we want to make sure there's positive cash flow. I kind of touched on that a little bit earlier. Um, so there has to be 20% minimum positive cash flow um, on a monthly basis. So we'll run our numbers. We have a formula spreadsheet that we use. We can pass along to the to the listeners also to to run the numbers to make sure they match up. But we want to make sure that you're putting yourself in a good position up front where you're not depleting that IRA on a monthly basis because you don't have enough rent to offset the mortgage payment and all the other expenses that go along with it. Um, and then the third thing we look for um, reserves. We want to make sure that the, the entity that's buying the piece of real estate has a surplus of funds available if something goes wrong. What happens if you don't have a tenant for six months um, or you have to replace that roof or, um, you know, there's there's other uh, drywall needs repaired? Well, you can't dip into your personal pocket mm-hmm. to pay for those things. It has to come out of the IRA that's on title. Um so we make sure that the borrower has a minimum 20% of the loan size in their IRA or IRA accounts to handle any emergencies. Um, they need to be liquid funds, so stocks, bonds, mutual funds, cash, something that you can access um, quickly. But, you know, again, that's protecting not only um, the lender but also the borrower itself. A lot of times yeah. people will go into the transaction um Assuming nothing's going to happen. Well, things do happen, um, and you need to prepare yourself and make sure you have that um, available funds. Yeah. Um, Now, I'm starting to get some questions coming in. We've got a lot of callers on the line. Um, Let me just drop out some numbers. If you want to call in to the show, you can call in, um, and I'll give you the call-in number. It's 646-200-4285. Um, live questions are going to be. Or we'll take priority. We'll take live questions first. Um, I 
also have some questions emailed in already. If you want to email me questions, I'll ask Matt. We'll address them on the show. You can email me at matt, M-A-T, at kkoslawyers.com. Um, and Matt, one of the uh, questions that came up as you were going over the loan qualification rules was an IRA LLC. Um, is the lending rules or qualification anything different for someone using an IRA LLC versus having the self-directed IRA um, owning the property directly? Uh, from the lender's perspective, from, from NAVSI's perspective, no. Um, it's going to be the same okay. qualifications. The only difference being we're going to ask, ask for different documentations from that account holder. So instead of asking for an IRA statement, um, we're going to ask for the LLC operating agreement, the articles of organization, um, the uh, letter of standing with the um, state that it was incorporated, and then also yeah. um, any other you know, I, I guess your checking account statement we would ask for from the LLC. So th- that's going to be the main difference. But no, we lend to any self-directed account. So if it's a um, IRA LLC, IRA self-directed 401k, um, they're all the same lending guidelines, just different documentation we collect. Okay, great. That was another question that came in is about um, self solo 401k type products. So lending mm-hmm. rules same there, similar qualification rules, maybe just di- different documentation you'll request. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're starting to see more solo 401ks. You know, in the last two or three years, they've become more relevant, um, and yeah. we definitely will accommodate uh, you know account holders for those type of, of transactions. Okay, cool. Um, one of the other things I just wanted to maybe have you touch on is uh, any horror stories or things people should avoid in terms of out there seeking to leverage their IRA. Um, what are some of the problem areas that people get themselves into or maybe do wrong that they should kind of know up front and try and avoid? Well, you know, there's there's different ways of going about buying real estate and, and different borrowers are looking for different type of properties. Um, mm-hmm. From our perspective, we we try to we don't lend on raw land or say um, short-term rentals because we consider mm-hmm. them more of a riskier product. Where um, that for some of the listeners that might be their niche, though they might purchase short-term rentals and that's what they're good at. They've they've uh, received positive income and it's worked out fine for them. I, I guess. Do your homework up front, your due diligence. Make sure you inspect the property. Make sure you understand what you're getting into. Um, you, you know, the history of the property, clean title, uh, you know, just things that could bite you in the end that could cost you uh, financially. Um, yeah. And, you know, as far as managing the property, I know you touched on it earlier in the show, we require mm-hmm. a property manager if the account holder lives uh, greater than 50 miles away from the property, 50 plus miles away. Um, just because if you live three states uh, west of, of where your property is located, you might swing by that property once a year and look at it, and you don't know what's really going on unless you have a uh, a good neighbor in that area. Um, you know, things mm-hmm. could happen, and it might take you two months before you realize it, and then the properties, uh, you know, could be devalued substantially. So, you know, recommend a property manager if if you don't live close to the property, and just uh, again make sure you understand what you're getting into. You understand the the IRA rules, um, and, and make a sound decision based on um, running the numbers, talking to different investors who have done this type of transactions, um, and then just take good care of the property. 
Okay. Maybe re there's a couple of good books out there someone could read um, to just you know get educated first. Um, little plug for your book there. Uh, Leverage your IRA, by the way. That's Matt's book. You can get it on Amazon. Um, you have it in uh, ebook format on Kindle also. Yeah, you can purchase it uh, Kindle version on Amazon, hardcover, um, and we sell it on, sell it on our website directly too, IRAlending.com. Um, okay. Those are the the main three resources um, to purchase the book. But uh, right. it's a good good starting, you know, start to finish. Kind of how do you set up an IRA, get a non recourse loan, what kind of properties to to look for? Yeah. Okay. A couple other questions that came in. One was about um, <clears throat> buying properties that are going to be flipped. Um, mm -hmm. any, uh, my understanding is typically non-recourse loans are, um, from most lenders besides you know your private lenders are going to be for buy and hold type properties. Are, are you aware of anything for flips or do you guys offer anything for people you know doing those types of properties? Um, you know, we do look for a long-term hold. We're not um, looking for, for borrowers that are wanting to flip um, you know, within six yeah. months or less. So um, something we will typically um, shy away from, short-term loans, uh, hard money lenders or private lenders are really going to be your only option. Um, yeah. So that's that's what I would recommend. We're we're just looking for long-term cash flow. Um, people are looking mm -hmm. to to hold for minimum 12 months. <clears throat> yeah. Um, other question came in by email was um, states. Are there for your company in particular? Are there states that you don't lend in? What states are you guys doing non-recourse loans in? Mm -hmm. Good question. We're a federal savings bank, so we can lend in all 50 states. Um, you know, a couple of states we might uh, evaluate a little harder than others: Michigan, and then certain markets around the country. But um, you know, we're lending California, Arizona, Florida. You know, some of the states that took okay. a hit four or five years ago, but if, yeah, we have come back. So yeah, we we definitely lend in Florida. Okay. Um, I'm getting. I'm just going to start hammering at questions here because we got some questions that to maybe work through. Sure. Um, and may, and I might jump in on some of these and uh, and offer my thoughts. But the question is um, tax consequences. Um, how does borrowing in an LLC or plan, LLC IRA or plan or plain IRA um, affect your taxes? Uh, the question they're asking, good, bad, ugly. Um, so now there is a tax, um, unrelated business income tax, a form of that called UDFI tax um, that uh, can be due. Is that right, Matt? Yes, that's that is correct. Um, so it's based on the percentage that you actually leverage um, that is factored in. And I know, Matt, you're more of an expert on this topic than myself. Um, in our book, we yeah. cover, you know, briefly um, about this. And also in your book, you go an extensive um, discussion about it. So I, I think I'll let you answer that since you're, you're you're more the pro on the consequences and, and how to avoid it if you want to. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, let me kind of go explain this briefly about and this is something everyone should know, is there is a tax called UDFI, that's what I call Unrelated Debt Financed Income Tax, um, that will apply to your IRA when you leverage it with debt. And Matt gave the example earlier, let's say you bought a property with your IRA, and this is whether it's IRA or IRA LLC, it's, it's the same tax consequence. 
Um, but let's say you bought a property for $100,000 with the self-directed IRA, um, and let's say 40 grand came from the IRA's cash and 60 grand came from a non-recourse loan. Now, what the IRS does is they look at that and say, well, 60% of this deal is not retirement plan money. And therefore, you have to pay taxes on 60% of the profits. So, for example, if you sold the property a year later, and let's say you had a gain of $10,000 at the time of sale, um, the IRS would look at that and say, well, 60% of that gain, $10,000, was because of debt. So, therefore, 6000 60% of the total, 10000 would be subject to UDFI tax. Now, UDFI tax at the time of sale is simply the capital gains tax rate, which is 20% right now federal. So you'd have a 20% tax on the $10,000 gain, or excuse me, you'd have a 20% tax on $6,000, because um, that's only the leverage percent. That'd be a $1,200 tax bill, 20% of $6,000. And so after a $10,000 gain, you'd end up paying twelve. $100 to the IRS for UDFI tax at the time of sale. Obviously, the more debt you have, the more UDFI tax you could be exposed to. Um, you could also have UDFI tax year-to-year um, based on uh, net uh, rental income after expenses, obviously. But um, And I do go through this more extensively in my book. Uh, frankly, talking about UDFI tax on the radio show can be a little tricky, uh, but I check out my book on this, and um, you can get resources on our website, too, if you just want some free free resources at sdirahandbook.com. Now, one thing I want to say about it, there's a couple comments I want to make about UDFI tax. I think a lot of people know about it, a lot of our clients at least. Um, I don't think it's the, – the question from Alan here was good, bad, ugly after asking the question – and I I don't think it's a bad thing because the the reason you have UDFI tax is because you didn't have enough money in the retirement plan to buy the asset or you decided to buy more assets. It's almost like bringing in a partner to the deal. Just think when you're bringing in debt, it's like bringing in a partner to the deal that has to pay tax on the profits they make out of the deal. The nice thing is, though, is it gets to go into – the profit's going to go into your retirement plan. You're just going to pay a little bit of tax on this um, on the profits that come from the debt. So um, you're going to leverage the retirement plan. It's going to allow for greater returns to go into the retirement account. But just keep in mind, since the debt was not retirement plan money, it doesn't get all the retirement plan tax rules. You're going to have to pay tax on the profits that they can attribute to the debt. Um, there's a few other questions about UDFI tax, so let me just try and answer those. Um, Kirby asks, who, what pays the UDFI? The entity owning the LLC, the IRA, the retirement account owner. Um, So the IRA would pay the UDFI tax. Uh, The IRA would file Form 990-T, and uh, the IRA actually ends up paying the tax. Now, your IRA usually does not file a tax return, um, except when you run into a situation where the IRA is subjected to tax. So again, if you leverage the purchasing power of the IRA, you brought in non-retirement plan money to increase the purchasing power of the IRA, you're going to pay tax on the profits from uh, from the debt, and the IRA pays that. Uh, 
And also, Matt, I think uh, it's important to, to mention about that, um, the standard deduction and also how you can deduct some of the expenses that the IRA pays before you come to that bottom line tax right. consequence that has to come from the, the entity on title. So. Right, definitely. You're going to expense everything you can. Obviously, the the interest, uh, property management fees, property expenses, mm-hmm. definitely you're going to be taking those um, off the top to try and get the, the net income down. And there's a lot of ways to get around. I have a lot of thoughts in my book about ways to minimize UDFI tax. Um, one of the other things with respect to UDFI tax is uh, the self-directed 401k or solo K as Matt mm-hmm. said, is getting more popular. We're seeing that also in our office. Um, a solo K that leverages to buy real estate um, is exempt from UDFI tax. So it's a little quirk in the tax rules. IRAs get subjected to it, but uh, self-directed solo 401Ks, for whatever reason, are exempted from it. Um, so if you've got a solo K type product and you're buying real estate, um, doing a non-recourse loan, you would not have to pay UDFI tax. You're, you're exempted from it under 401k rules. Um, I had a question here about, are there examples of non-recourse mortgage notes? This is Dave asking, uh, are there any examples out there on the web or on your guys' site about what a typical note terms are, like what, what the note looks like? Um, you know, we don't post anything on our website. We've had that question come up occasionally and you know we have generic versions of the note we can if somebody wants to reach out to us um, we can give them a generic copy if they want their attorney to review it up front um, or if themselves want to review it but uh, you know it's it's a commercial note for residential property so it's it's no non-recourse language is very um, specific and obvious um, in the note that we we draft okay um all right, well, we'll get your con- – so, Dave, stay tuned. We'll get Matt's detailed contact info uh, towards the end here, which we're coming up to. Um, Gary had a question, uh, what are NASB's current rates, points, and fees? Sure. Um, our current rates are going to start at 4.25, um, run up to 6.25. So we offer a 3151 and a 10-year arm, and then we also offer a 10, 15, and 20-year fixed product. Um, the arm actually we can amortize over 25 years. Um, so again, four and a quarter to six and a quarter, and then we charge a one percent origination fee up front. Um, the only thing that's required from the borrower, the account holder, is up front is the uh, fee to pay for the appraisal. We do order a full appraisal with rent comp, so we want to um, make sure the value is in line with what uh, it's been indicated up front. And along with the, the rent comps, we're going to get three rent comps with that appraisal and verify that the going market rent uh, matches with the information we received. Okay. <clears throat> Um, all right, I got another question here. Let's see. This I'll just fill this one. Looks like it's about UDFI tax. This is from Alan. Um, if an LLC IRA puts money down for operating expenses and an outside partner does the credit borrowing for the loan, how does UDFI come into this partner situation? So, um, you can do that. That is a possibility. You can do an an IRLC type structure um, at where the IRA 
um, is a cash partner essentially in an LLC, and there's another party in there that's unrelated to the IRA owner who guarantees a loan, um, and, and that's possible. The LLC could buy property in that way. That would still cause UDFI tax. So um, UDFI tax would still apply to the IRA because its investment is leveraged, even though the you know it wasn't a non-recourse loan for the IRA. It's leveraging an asset the IRA owns, so the IRA would be subjected still to UDFI tax. All right, let me jump over to the chat window here. Okay, well, if you have a call, um, just keep in mind you can call in. We're getting towards the end here, so call in now. If you do have a call you want to get on the air, 646-200-4285. Um, I probably won't have time to get through any of these more emails. Um, I know I didn't get to some of your questions by email. Um, I will reply back to those that we didn't address on the show. Um, Matt, anything else you think that's critical that someone know or a topic we should probably cover here towards the end? We have maybe five minutes left um, about non-recourse loans or about leveraging your IRA. Um, I guess I would say if somebody's looking to buy a piece of real estate, they have one identified, they want to make an offer, um, they can reach out to us directly, and we actually have a pre-approval process, which is less than 24 hours. We ask them, uh, there's a one-page form, you fill it out on the property, um, expected rent, taxes, insurance, things like that. So then we have our loan committee look at it. Um, and again, within 24 hours, you'll know if, if this piece of real estate would work with the loan product we offer. So then when you make that offer, um, you know, you have a little more backing um, with your pre-approval letter and it might help with the transaction. And, you know, these type of loans take on average 30 days to close. Um, You have to keep in mind if you have a self-directed IRA involved, not only do you have to read and approve the loan documents, but they also have to go to the custodian. So if you're, you're buying a piece of real estate in Texas, you live in California and the custodians in Missouri, um, well, the, the lender's going to email the documents to Texas, um, to the title company. They're going to overnight them to you in California to read and approve. Then you have to ship them to Missouri for the custodian to execute, then go back to Texas. So you can see that's going to take three to four days to accomplish. Um, so when you make that offer, make sure you give yourself enough ample time. Um, if you're, if typical 30-day offer, I would make it 35 days out just to um, help with any last-minute adjustments that may take place. All right, great final tip there. Um, Now, your website is iralending.com. I know there's a lot of great resources on there. I've been there and sent a lot of people to that that site. But um, in terms of your contact info, you want to leave your contact info and how people can get in touch with you with any questions? Yeah, it can uh, reach me at 866-735-6272. Again, my name is Matt Allen. Um, email address is M-A-L-L-E-N at nasby.com. And you can find all that my contact information on IRAlending.com. That's probably the best place to start. All right. Well, thanks so much, Matt. We've had Matt Allen on the show today. Again, he's the co-author of the book, Leverage Your IRA, Maximize Your Profits with Real Estate. And he's with North American Savings Bank. Easiest way to find them is at iralending.com. Thanks so much for being on, Matt. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Matt. Have a good day. All right. Thanks. All right. Now stay tuned for next week's show. That will be announced in the newsletter. Mark Kohler will be back in the host shot or in the host seat, uh, in the host shot, geez. 
uh, in the host seat and will be hosting next week. Uh, thanks so much for being on and um, go out there, live the American dream. Um, so thankful for those who decided to work with us. And again, for those that did email me, I will try and get back to you on your questions. Thanks for being part of today's show. Thanks for listening to another hour of refreshing strategies to better live your American dream. Don't forget to get your free copy of Mark and Matt's ebooks and sign up for their weekly free newsletter with important tax deadlines and articles at refreshyourwealth.com. 